So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this concept of counterculture. And I, I thought that we'd start today by just kind of talking about what that means in general. I looked up a definition online and it said this, that a counterculture is a subculture whose values and norms of behavior are substantially different than those of mainstream society. Now, let me ask you a quick question, okay? When you hear the word counterculture before this series started, what do you normally associate the term or the idea of counterculture with? Hippies, right? These people. Anybody remember these people? Anybody were these people? Where are you, Dirk? Where are you? On the bus. Dirk's on the bus somewhere. Right? And the hippies were in the 1960s, right? And they were a counterculture. So it looked like, for the most part, that American cultures and morals and norms were all kind of set in the 40s and 50s, right? How many of you remember the 40s and 50s? So you just admitted how old you are. You shouldn't have done that, all right? I, I don't. I wasn't around, obviously, but I've read history books, right? And so in the 40s and 50s, mainstream culture was kind of here. And then in the 60s, this happened. Now, what was the general attitude? Now, if you're a hippie, don't worry, hippie, don't, you know, be upset by this. What was the general attitude in churches like ours in the 60s about the hippies? Was it was it a positive idea? No, right? Those hippies over there, right? The hippie became a derogatory term. It's kind of interesting because hippie now, I mean, kids dress up as hippies for Halloween, right? No, they're so cute, cute little hippies. Look at those. Back in the 60s, church, like normal church going people didn't think, look at those cute little hippies. Right? They were nuts is what they thought, right? I mean, it was peace, love, free love, free, you know, um, Make love, not war. The peace sign, right? All this stuff. And the reason it was so aggravating for normal society is because they were completely different, it felt like, than norm. The reason I've called this series counterculture is because I don't think we are there yet. But we're not too far removed from being this generation's hippies. What I mean by that is we as people who believe and we're going to talk today about exactly what that belief is, that believe in Jesus Christ as our savior and the only way to heaven and want to live according to his word are so far out of mainstream culture that we are like the subculture of hippies who were fighting against it. You ever find yourself as a Bible believing Christian watching the news and hearing people talk and just thinking, how in the world can they actually think that's right? You ever think that? Now, most people that know me very well wouldn't think that this is always the case, but I'm a guy that likes to plan out stuff in the future. Okay. Now, I'm also very spontaneous about stuff and kind of mix those up. But but my sermons, I really I pray about and I think about and and. Months in advance, I have sermons kind of planned where we're going and what God instructs. And God changes that sometimes, but for the most part, it's kind of set. And it's kind of interesting to me that sometime in um, February, I set this series to go forward. 
and I set the specific Sundays for most of the topics and I set abortion on the Sunday before that first video got released on Tuesday. Now, that's not me, right? That's God's planning. But it was just that that issue was on the forefront. And so as that each of those has been released, I find myself becoming more and more angry and more flabbergasted by rhetoric that's being used. And the more those kind of things happen, I realize that we as believers in Jesus Christ are increasingly becoming a subculture whose norms and beliefs are substantially different from those in the mainstream. And here's what I want to tell you. That is not a bad thing necessarily. You know, what I think it's interesting as we talked about the phrase hippie was started almost as a kind of a derogatory term, right? And then before long, the people in the 60s were taking that and they loved it and they were using it and they were calling themselves hippies. And now kids are dressing up like hippies. What's interesting is when you look back at the first church, the, the terms that were used for them were derogatory terms. The phrase Christian or followers of the way were insults that they then adopted because what they were doing was so counter to the culture in which they live. And here's what I want to do today. Okay, I want to talk about the issue that makes us more of a counterculture than we even realize and when I tell you what it's going to be in just a second, you're not going to immediately. Here's what I'm, I'm afraid is going to happen is we're going to, I'm going to tell you the passage of scripture and immediately you're going to go, oh, I know that one. I don't I don't. How does that fit in what we're doing? Because it's not going to be a political issue that we're going to talk about today. But here's what I want you to understand. That the culture at large. Probably will never be what we want it to be. Because they would have to accept what we're going to talk about today to truly become what we think it should be. Do you, do you follow that? No. Okay. The, the, the culture may never be what we would like for it to be. Because to be what we would like for it to be, they're going to have to accept what we're going to talk about today. And in the history of the world. Large groups of people, like majority of people, have not believed this. It is the issue that sets us apart. It's even the issue that would make us more counterculture than we thought in the 50s and early 60s. Because, see, here's what I'm convinced of, that, that it looked like in the 40s and the 50s and the early 60s, and possibly even in a, re- in a kind of a reaction to the hippies and free love of the 60s and 70s, even the 80s that I grew up in, felt like, That Christian morality was ruling the day. But we must not confuse people that like the morals of Christianity to people who have embraced the gospel of Christianity. Those are two different things. You've got your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read the last words of Matthew chapter 28. Well, if you know Matthew, the book of Matthew, what's the last chapter in Matthew? 
28, right? So if we're going to read the last few verses of Matthew 28, we're going to read the last few verses of Matthew. And my guess is most of you in this room have heard this and heard sermons on this multiple times in your life. But what I want to do today that is different with it is to look at the claims that we believe that put us in direct contrast with our culture and how that impacts how we live. You got it? Matthew chapter 28 starts in verse 16 says, now the 11 disciples, why aren't there 12? Judas, right? Judas betrayed Jesus, hanged himself. And so now the 11 disciples are there and they're gathered, went to Galilee and to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And I love how Matthew puts this in. But some doubted. Now, uh, you, you know the old phrase, seeing is believing, right? Apparently for these disciples, even seeing isn't believing. Right? How many of the 11 had seen him alive? 11. Had any of them doubted and had to touch him? Yeah, right? And yet we get here and we don't know who they are. They don't tell us who they are. I think Matthew doesn't tell us who they are because now we'd sit here and talk bad about them. I can't believe they couldn't believe. But the truth is, even you and I have had our lives altered by Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about things that are difficult to believe sometimes. But some doubt it. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And here's what I, I want to do today, okay? And this is, this is my, my prayer, this is my goal, this is what I what desire. First of all, if you're here today and, and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have never come to a place where you have accepted what He has done for you on the cross, then my hope and my prayer is that today will just be an opportunity for you to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus and His love for you in a fresh new way, and perhaps that through it God might interact with you and that you might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, my goal is if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to re-energize and re-emphasize and, and remind us of the entire reason for which we exist. No exceptions. And I want us to be reminded of the importance of doing what God has called us to do. So let's set the scene. They're on a mountain. It's the 11 Jesus and he's sitting there and he's talking to them. And these are his last words, his final instructions before leaving. Right. These are the important things that he wants to give them before he takes off back to the father, before he exits their lives and the capacity that he has been walking next to them when he is sending the spirit to guide them. And he gives them final instructions. And this is what's interesting about it is that this is a a, a Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the son of God. This is our risen savior who has spent almost entire ministry among Jewish people with Jewish people right there with his disciples. Just not even very many miles from where he was born and raised. He lives and he works and he ministers and he comes out and he gives them this unbelievable commission. Anybody uh, like the Mission Impossible movies or TV show? How many of you remember the TV show, right? I, I like those movies, all right? I, I like 
I, I really do like thoughtful, contemplative, thinking movies. My favorite movies are those movies that you have to really think through. Mission Impossible is not that. Right. I also like those movies that people hang off the side of planes and plummet to their deaths and are caught right at the end. And it just makes you like you're, you're eating um, way more calories and popcorn than you imagine because you're just enthralled. Right. I was Eli. Eli. Last week, Susan and the rest, my other three children, the rest of my kids, the other three children went to Jackson for a few days. And so Eli and I were together. Eli's in football practice. So he had to be here. And he he is getting to the age he wants to watch those kind of movies. And so we watched Mission Impossible movies all week. Like we watched the first four and then we went because, you know, you got to go see the new one that came out. Right. And he came and we're driving on the way to theater. I'm excited. I'm, we're going we're guy night. You know, we're going to see action stuff. He's got a friend with him. We're going to eat pizza and watch Mission Impossible. This is like guy night. And he says to me. Dad, you realize they're not impossible missions. I said, what? what, do you, what, do you, what? He goes, well, they do them. If they were impossible, they could. The logic of a 12 year old, right? Here's what I want to tell you. There is no mission that has ever seemed more impossible than what Jesus told these guys. Right. How many of them are standing there? How many does it say? Eleven. All right. So just imagine for a minute, we pare this down to just me and eleven of us. All right. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. I'm just saying, imagine I'm the teacher and eleven of us. And I say to the eleven people sitting here on the front pew, because they could all fit right there on the front pew. I say to them, I say, listen, here's what we're going to do. You, your job is to take a message to the entire world without television, radio, Internet or any form of transportation other than a camel and walking. You may be able to use a donkey every now and then. Now, let's 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 think. Well, you, you say well, you could do that if you had the world's leaders here, like you had, you know, major entrepreneurial spirits. But who, who are these guys? They are not that. I mean, the first time they speak is in Acts, right? And the first time that Peter speaks, they say, who are these guys? They got to be from Galilee. Listen to those accents. Right. Y'all, we know what that feels like. Right. Y'all, we know what that's like. Right. When somebody hears us and says, look at them boys. What does that mean? That means they lost a few IQ points being born south. Right. That's what they were saying about Peter. And so this is an impossible task. Except. Jesus. Here's what I want us to see today. Three things. And we're going to do this very quickly. Okay. Three things. That make us completely different than the culture we're in and give us the reason for our existence. And the first thing is this. We are different. We are the counterculture because we believe the authority of Christ. Now, Jesus says, what does he say right at the beginning? He says, all authority. Now, quickly, y'all know this, right? We've been around for a few years. Y'all realize I've been here eight years. Y'all realize that this month? Some of you feel real old right now. All right. Um, so we've done this a few times. All right. The word all in Greek. What does it mean? All. All. All authority. And in case they missed it, all authority where? In heaven and 
All right. I don't know, but there's only two places that I can think of the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Now, there may be another one that's in God's knowledge, but we don't know it. So Jesus didn't have to talk about it. All right. He wasn't going to blow their minds at that moment. He just said these two in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. I have every bit of authority that has ever existed. It's been given to me. I have it. Now, people say, well, is that he, he get it at the resurrection? No. You, you realize that he's there at Genesis one, right? In the beginning, it talks about that Jesus is who they created through. So he has all authority. Sometimes you'll see. Um, I, I saw a sign one time driving through the country uh, out in the middle of nowhere that said whatever. I can't remember what, what county it was or, or city. We'll, we'll just take a good West Tennessee town, Nankipoo. How about Nankipoo? All right. And so uh, Nankipoo had a sign up that said uh, First Baptist Church Nankipoo making Jesus Lord over our city. Now, first of all, it's not a city. They shouldn't have said that. But here's the thing. He already is. Sometimes even I will say something like, have you made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Can I tell you something? (laughs) He's already your Lord. Whether you believe it or not is a question, but you can't make him Lord. It's not like you are a sad, like, well, Jesus, I know you've been waiting on this. And so at this moment... In the city of Goodlettsville, we are officially going to enthrone you as Lord. You have been waiting. You've been waiting for us to do it. He is. I mean, in the whole book of Matthew, he's proving that time and time and time again. He he proves that he has authority over nature, right? Calms the seas. Heals disease. He has authority over diseases. He has authority over the supernatural. He is casting out demons, exercising them. He has authority over sin and death. He forgives sin. And then people say, how can you forgive sin? And he says, well, get up and walk. He goes to someone that is dead and says, she's just asleep and she lives. He is Lord over all creation. And here's what we mean by that. We believe That if he has authority over everything that has ever been or ever will be, that means he has authority over our lives. And we believe that he can do with us whatever he wants. Now, here's the truth. If you don't live like that, then you don't believe that. If you don't live like Christ has complete control over your life and can do anything you want with you, then you don't believe he has all authority. I mean, we're talking here. About the fact that Jesus is not just personal Lord and Savior. He, he is Lord over all. And the way we live our lives ought to demonstrate that. Can I tell you something? There is nobody in the government of the United States of America that can knock God off his throne. There is no decision that the Supreme Court of the United States of America can make that can knock God off of his throne. There is no decision that you or I can make that can knock God off of his throne. And the authority that he has given to Jesus Christ is there. The United States of America, there was a time when it was not. And there is a time when it will not be. But the Lord is. And the Lord was. And the Lord always will be.
And so we believe that. And listen, what that means is that we have a higher authority and we have a higher honor that we give to Christ and say to him, do whatever you want. And that means that sometimes he's going to call us to do very uncomfortable things and that our lives are not necessarily built to live the American dream. We are lived to build. We are built to live the gospel commandment. And whatever he says, wherever he leads, I'll talk about it, debate it, pray over it, let somebody else. That's not what it says, is it? I don't think they changed it, have they, Keith? They haven't changed the words. All right. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I mean, you think about those great invitation hymns that we sing. The complete surrender, the total faith, the total trust. And we sing them and then we walk out the door and we live our lives like everybody else around us without giving one thought about the authority of Christ in our lives and what he's calling us to do. If we want to be countercultural, we live and believe in the authority of Christ. And here's the thing. Because Jesus has all authority, it compels us to go. I gave you some statistics last week, and the most conservative statistics are that there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 billion people on this planet who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's bad all across the, the world, but what, what is frightening is the cities of America, if you just put the, like the 10, 15, 20 most, uh, the largest cities in America together, you didn't count, like, you know, us, Goodlettsville, and... Those kind of places. If you just put the 20 biggest cities together and and made those into a, a nation, a country, it would be one of the most unreached countries in the world. I've emailed back and forth with Robbie Pitt in Los Angeles, and Robbie is going to actually um, be in town this week and may, may come and be part of our, our second service next week. And we, we're talking, he's the coordinator of all of Los Angeles. And he says, people don't realize that there are just 9% in Los Angeles County that are saved. And he said, that number is probably too high. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. 9% of 18 million is not a lot. And it leaves a lot. And here's what the authority of Christ says. We believe that in the authority of Christ, that he is the one true God. He is the one way to heaven. That no one, and this is radical in our culture, that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Then that means that there are five billion people in our world who are destined for hell. And the authority of Christ compels us not to sit and stay and just enjoy our holy huddle of people that are around us, but to go and tell them about the authority of Jesus Christ because they may never hear it if we don't go. And here's the thing. We go in the confidence of the authority of Christ. We go knowing he's going to win. The authority of Christ tells us that the gospel succeeds. Can I tell you that one of the most amazing things that happens to me is sometimes when I feel the absolute worst about what I preach. I don't know if y'all know this, but sometimes I, 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 I hate what I do on Sunday morning. All right. Now, that's a strong word, but there are Sundays that I you can tell Monday mornings we'll be in staff meeting and we'll be times like it wasn't very good yesterday. And I'm sorry about that. But sometimes when I feel the worst about what I've done, God moves the most. Because it, it independent on me. It's not my job. 
to bring the growth and to bring salvations. It is. I remember the first time I ever preached an evangelistic message in Brazil. And it was not, I mean, I basically read John 3.16. And then I repeated John 3.16 about 12 times. And I remember thinking, all I've done is say John 3.16. I mean, that's all I've done. And tried to illustrate John 3.16. And I don't know what's going to happen. And we closed and we had like 40 people come to Christ that night. And I remember thinking that was the most basic thing I've ever done in my life. I still want you to know there are times when I share the gospel with individuals. I share the gospel in a setting like this or I share the gospel in a revival or share gospel in an event. And I still think I I, I feel like I got to explain more. I got to do more. I feel like I got to give more explanation. I got to feel like I got to do all this stuff. And God just says, no, the gospel is the power, not you. And we trust that. We believe the authority of Christ. Here's the second thing that makes us counterculture completely rebels. We obey the command of Christ. What's the command here? What's the command? Go, right? As you go. The, the, the phrase, if you get technical in the Greek, that's not even a, an imperative. That's not even a command. It just says, as you are going. It is an understood, implicit thing that in the Christian life, you are not comfortable sitting still, having a, a, a sweet tea, sitting on the porch, enjoying life, not worried about anybody around you. The call is that we're going. And as you go to every nation... We teach, we make disciples, we baptize them, helping them to understand how to live. This is not a comfortable call for Christians to come to be baptized and then just to sit where we are in church and enjoy our life here together. This is the call that is a costly command to every Christian to go and to make disciples of all nations. Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, saying that every follower is to be a fisher of man. He ends it in Matthew 28, saying every disciple is a disciple maker. We obey the command of Christ. The statistics out there are absolutely shocking. That 85 to 90 percent of people who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ in our country have never shared their faith with another human being. That's the whole reason you're still here. That's the entire reason you are still on this planet. Sometimes I'll meet with people and they'll say, I don't know, I've had lots happen in my life and I don't know why I'm here, but God's got me here for a reason. I can answer that question for you. The reason that you're here, if you're still here, how many of you are still here? Okay, okay, just making sure we didn't lose anybody, all right? If you're still here, the reason you were still here is to go and make disciples. Last week, I got a little, some of you a little frazzled when I talked about there's no such thing as retirement from the Christian work. Well, listen, this is the thing you are to do until you breathe your last breath. Is to take and make disciples and not just in your comfortable area. Where is his command to go where? The ends of the earth. To all nations is what he says here. Now you realize that he's not talking about geopolitical nations, a little over 200 in, a, in a, the world today. Because when he said that, like, like many of the nations that are today were not back then, right? Can, can you name a nation that wasn't around when Jesus uh, said this? Like uh, us, right? Like 
We were still like 1800 years away. And so he's not talking about that, but he's talking about every group of people in the world are to have a witness of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to acknowledge him. And I, I read lots of people this week that said this, that said, listen, if Jesus hadn't come back, there's a reason he hasn't come back. And it's because the Great Commission has not been fulfilled. Now, I'm not one of those guys that thinks that we go do the Great Commission just so Jesus will come back. Although I am all for Jesus coming back. Amen. Come get me anytime he wants to. All right. Now, I'm all for that. I'm not one of these guys that thinks we do that to see Jesus come back. But I do think that a prerequisite for Jesus coming back is that the gospel has to be shared. I also don't think that as soon as the last tribe has somebody say Jesus to them, that God opens the heavens and he comes. I think that there's more. It's more complicated than that. But our task is incomplete. Well, my favorite verse is over in. Uh, Peter's writings as he says that we must be ready to give a defense you know that whole passage and one of the things he says in there is that that the Lord is slow and patient with you aren't you glad the Lord's patient with you amen Lord's patient with you and he says this it's the whole passage that says to the Lord a year is like a a man day is like a thousand years a thousand years like a day you know that passage he's outside of time he says he is not slow as you would think slow he is patient with you in order that he wants all men to come to salvation Here's what I think is interesting, all right? Who, who, who is Peter writing that letter to? Who is Peter writing that letter to? Is he writing it to the church? Thank you. Amen. Somebody give, my, give an amen to whoever said that. Amen, all right? Because there's going to be uncomfortable silence for a long time. So he wrote it to the church. So here's the thing. If he says, the Lord is patient with you. If he's writing to the church, I know we're doing lots of English today. If he's writing to the church, who is you? Us. And the Lord is patient with us because he's waiting on us to do what he's called us to do. And we're not doing it. People get all freaked out sometimes because they think, oh, is is he going to put the call on us to to go somewhere else, to live somewhere else, to to be missionary somewhere else? And, and, And here's what I will tell you. okay? I know that God's called me here for now at this moment of my life. And I am perfectly content in his calling on my life to be your pastor. But I also understand that if there are five billion people out there who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, then there's a good chance, even in spite of all the losses it feels like we're getting, in spite of all the ways that we seem to be losing ground, that we are still, in this area of the world, some of the most concentrated Christians in the world. And it would just seem to me that someone who is smart would call people from the really concentrated areas to go to the areas that aren't. If the goal is to see all men come to faith in Christ. It's not a call to comfortable Christianity in the same seat, in the same pew every week. It's a call to the nations. And for you, that means starting right where you are. But it doesn't just necessarily mean that. And I firmly believe there are believers in the pews of American churches every week that are missing the calling of God to go to the uttermost parts of the world. And I pray regularly that I'm not. We obey 
the command of Christ. We share the word. We tell people who Jesus is. It was what his word says. We show it. We live it out. We teach it and we serve. And we make disciples. In the midst of all this, this is the last thing that makes us different in counterculture is we depend on the presence of Christ. This mission is not based on who we are or the strategies we can employ or the things we can do. It's dependent on us being obedient to a God who will fulfill it. It's based on who Jesus is, what he is able to do in and through our lives. I heard um, there's a big conference coming up. Y'all heard me talk about it a little bit. It starts tomorrow and Tuesday. We have... We still have a few tickets left if anybody be interested to go. It's Monday. It starts tomorrow afternoon like at 1 o'clock and goes through uh, Tuesday night. And I know some of you have, would have a hard time getting off work, but there are going to be great sessions tomorrow night and Tuesday night. So even if you could just go then, we can talk about that if we've got a couple extra tickets. But there's going to be a great conference called Send North America. 12,000 uh, believers gathered together to talk about what it means to live out the Great Commission every day of our lives where we live. I read a quote about somebody leading up to that. And it says, for too long, the local church of Christ, like us, not like the church of Christ down the street, like us, right? Local churches have outsourced missions and thought they can sit and watch while others do. So we send our money and we pray for our missionaries and that's great. But missions was never to be intended for a select few number of people. It is the calling on every single life that is in this room right now. My question simply is, are you living in the authority of Christ? Are you obeying the command of Christ? And you depending on the presence of Christ? Let's pray together.